This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell. Joining me today right here in the studio are the Toledo Symphony's President and CEO, Zach Vassar, Music Director, Elaine Trudell, our Principal Second Violin and Artistic Administrator, Merwin Sue, and the TSO's Director of Marketing, Vanessa Gardner. I feel like I need a fanfare for the fact that we have everybody in here, and this is about the best I can do. That sounded like something from the old Prairie Home Companion. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think of that, but yeah, welcome everybody. It's nice to have you all in the studio here. Uh, We're doing a little preview of a concert that is actually happening on June 3rd. It's Friday night, June 3rd. 8 p.m. as a Paris style, and this is really a spectacular concert. It's called, uh, well, what is the name of this concert? America in the Key of Gershwin. That's right, America in the Key of Gershwin. Gershwin is like, you know, the magic word. You say that, and then Mm -hmm. all the bells and whistles go off. I don't have any bells and whistles. You have a sound bard. (laughs) I do have a sound bard. Sound bard? You have a sound Shakespeare. That's going to be my... (laughs) That's going to be my nickname moving forward, Sound Bard. I like that because your name is kind of Bard. Yeah, exactly. When it's not Brad. All right, we'll go for that. I think that's the first applause I've ever gotten. That wasn't for you. That was for me. That that was for Sound Bard. Sound Bard. Yes. So uh, different works on here, including George Gershwin, of course. And we're going to talk about Gershwin today quite a bit. But there's also uh, three living composers on this program beginning with Wang Ji, who's a wonderful composer, also Christopher Dietz, who is on faculty at Bowling Green State University. Chris has been on this program before, and Alain Trudel, who's sitting right here with me, a new uh, piano concerto that you have going on with uh, Charles. Now, how do you say this gentleman's name? Uh, Charles Richard Ramelin. So okay. we only pronounce half the letters. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Only the vowels. <laughs> I'm just going to call him Charles Richard Hamelin. How's that? <laughs> well, the second H is silent. The first H you have to say three times. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Good to know. I'm, I'm glad we don't have him in the studio with us as well. Oh, but he's listening, so <laughs> and hello. An ex- and an excellent interview. Yes. <laughs> I, I listened to several of his interviews. So, Hello, Charles. <laughs> okay. So moving on, we're going to be hearing from Christopher and Elaine as well. They're going to have a little composer's corner. We'll talk all about that uh, new music that they're bringing to the Paris style on June 3rd. But that is for a later episode. Right now, we're going to focus... On Gershwin, you're performing Catfish Row, which is an orchestral suite from his opera Porgy and Bess. We're going to start with uh, the composer Wang Ji, however, just like the program starts, a symphonic overture on America the Beautiful. And, of course, that fits with the theme of America and mm-hmm. the Key of Gershwin. Who, who wants to talk about this composer in this piece? Well, I've always been fascinated by Wang Ji. Um, she's just, uh, she's an amazing composer. I think she's... She's a very interesting personality. She's, um, I don't know, she's kind of like an anime character. <laughs> she likes to kind of, you know, get into all sorts of scrapes and then write about them. <laughs> um, but so she actually loves mountaineering. And so she was um, actually moved by an experience. I think, I think this is near the Pikes Peak area near Colorado Springs. And then it was uh, something that kind of, um, inspired her to, you know, kind of comment about America the Beautiful, but from that kind of very adventurous. Yeah. Um, so it's, so it's a very, um, 
I wouldn't say it's a rollicking work, but there, it's more uh, when you hear, oh, it's America the Beautiful, you think of a very kind of maybe solemn sort mm-hmm. of work, and it's not at all. It's, yeah. it's exciting and fun, and her music is just, it's very adrenaline-filled, and mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy it. Yeah, it's a great way to start off yeah. the program. Yeah. You know, America the Beautiful, America the Slightly Dangerous, Adventurous. <laughs> America the Slightly Dangerous has an <laughs> unusual ring to it. That yeah. <laughs> Elaine just did a face palm when I said that, but it's all right. That's okay. Yes, but... Now, you know, she's uh, a very, she's, I would say, a very swiftly rising composer. To, to call yeah. her an emerging composer, I think she's already emerged. She has you know, emerged but, from her cocoon, I, yes. But, <laughs> but I think that um, it's, she's got a very individual voice, and it's a voice that's just so much fun to listen to. I think it's very energetic music, and it's, it's very, it's certainly challenging for the violinists. Yeah. You know. I'll well, just speak for them. <laughs> you that, usually do. That's uh, that's at the top of the program, but yeah. at the bottom of the program, the the last work is by George Gershwin, mm-hmm. Catfish Row. Elaine, I know that you have done a lot of uh, work with and thinking about, and you have a lot to say about this particular piece. So I, I'm going to turn the floor over to you to talk a little bit about uh, Catfish Row and Porgy and Bass. Well, sure. I well, I've had the pleasure of conducting that piece many times. Um, What's interesting about it is a lot of people didn't did not know that piece uh, for the longest time. It started as quite a hit actually because it uh, encompasses all the greatest, uh, uh, you know, the the, the greatest songs of uh, Porgy and Bess. So you have "Summertime," yeah. got "Plenty of Nothing," uh, "Bess, You're My Woman Now." You have uh, "There's a Boat That's Leaving Soon <laughs> for New York." That's a, that, that's another good one. I knew we'd uh, get you to sing if we let you. <laughs> Let you talk. Well, it's, 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 it's one, <laughs> yes. but it, okay, it, 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 it's one of you know, the world's greatest opera, mm-hmm. and you have everything in this. But it's not a medley; it's really different movements. And he he decided to write. You know that we're talking about the the same level of a uh, of writing as an American in Paris. Like a symphonic poem, but this is a multiple movement. There's a fugue in there. That's first of all is very tough for us, but it, it takes all different themes from that. The opera starts with the famous Take a bow. Very technical. I think you just won technical term. I, I think you just won a percussion audition. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, now now they know what, what the speed is going to be at the show. <laughs> Oh, I'm pretty sure they're aware of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're making jokes because it's the number one percussion clavier excerpt uh, in, in the entire book of excerpts. So, oh. this, yeah, the beginning of Porgy and Bess is a big thing. So every percussionist has to perform that for uh, an audition, right? Yes. If mm-hmm. you want to, like in an orchestra, if you're a percussion, it's very interesting. I mean, I'll just spend a second there. But <laughs> if, if you want to play percussion in your orchestra, so you have to do like mini auditions on a bunch of instruments when you do your audition. So there's a cymbal part Based on, and don't laugh, the symbol is probably one of the hardest. Yeah. Tch- Tchaikovsky's Fourth Symphony, I mean, the, it's difficult in Finland, yeah. Well, especially but if you the, hit it in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> or drop it. Yeah. yeah. And and then, uh, you know, snare drum and all that. Then you get to triangle. The cla- yeah, triangle. Yeah, of course. Really? Yeah. I can and, do that. Uh, 
Well, and it's <laughs> not as easy as one might think. But uh, when you get to the clavier instruments, like xylophone, this is the excerpt. And this is what scares everybody. It's like, not in our orchestra because we have like the best guys in the world. But yeah. uh, And uh, they're amazing. I mean, uh, it's kind of like that. Out. That game you see in mob movies where they put their hand and spread their fingers out on the table and take a knife and kind of go back and forth between the fingers, right? That kind of thing. My stomach just turned. <laughs> yeah, you should try giving them knives next time, see what happens. You know, Gershwin was uh, very well known, of course, as a, as a you know, songwriter with his brother, lyricist. And, but he's actually a great composer, composer. You know, like when he went to see Ravel. He went to meet Ravel, and he said, well, I, you know, teach me, master, you hey, know. I have a quiz later, so oh, don't spoil sorry. it oh. for anything here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, well, I have to finish it. I started my yeah, phrase. Uh, go know? ahead, go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> so, because he wanted to, you know, to become as great as a composer like Ravel. Ravel looked at him and he said, well, you know, don't try to be a second Ravel, you know, you're the, the best Gershwin. I mean, he's, uh, so everybody, it's one of those, you know, he had a, not the imposter syndrome, but a little mm -hmm. bit, you know, because yeah. he wrote so many tunes that were well-known, so many things that in the pop world, in the Broadway world, so so many tunes appeared like more of a pop composer. And uh, it was hard for him just to understand that he was actually uh accept that he was a genuine like classical composer great great yeah. composer of the 20th century uh, yeah. and a very unique voice you know so yeah. this piece really talks to that because there's the tunes yes but the composition around them is amazing that's wonderful you mentioned uh, ira gershwin who was george's older brother mm -hmm. and, and was his lyricist for many shows so i have a little bit of a quiz and let's do the first part of it now this is called Name That Gershwin, right? <laughs> so uh, the, the answer is either George or Ira. It can be both. It can be none of the above. So I'll give you a fun fact about one of the brothers or none or all of the above. And uh, you tell me who it is, okay? But we're going to do five questions. We'll do them. You write it down, your answer. And uh, then we'll go back and figure out who won. Okay, let me pull up a little music here. I'm going with none. <laughs> this is my Gershwin knockoff music. Okay. This person was once misidentified in print as the husband of his brother. Okay. This one played the violin, but was outshadowed by his younger brother's piano playing. This one published some of his work under the name Arthur Francis. Before getting involved in the music business, this person worked as a cashier in his father's Turkish baths. And relating to Elaine's question, this person tried to enlist famous artists and teachers to take him on as a student, was denied by no less than Maurice Ravel, Igor Stravinsky, and Nadia Boulanger. Wow. Okay, so those are our three or five different uh, quiz questions. It's we'll give okay, it Brad. It's very hard to count past. <laughs> I, I have that trouble all the time as violinist. Yeah. It's actually treble. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. My fingers aren't fast enough to grab the soundboard right now. Soundboard. Yeah. <laughs> grab the soundboard. That was very I just, quick, I actually. just registered the trademark. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what you were doing on your phone over there, <laughs> checking to see. 
Okay, well, let's go back and identify who these people are. So they were once misidentified in print as the husband of their brother. That would be George Gershwin, okay, a Scandinavian record company evidently misunderstood Ira's name as a woman's name, and he made mention of George's lovely wife, Ira, that was there in their bio on the record. So that was George. Anybody get that? I had it backwards. I had it backwards, too, and the way you just explained it makes it seems like... I know. So they were introduced as their brother's husband as opposed to brother's wife. I was going to... Yeah, misidentified. I didn't say... Yeah. okay. It was a trick question. It was kind of a trick question. The answer was Gershwin. The answer... (laughs) (laughs) No. The answer was George Gershwin. Did anybody get George Gershwin? No. Did you all go for it? I I blame faulty wording. Yeah. Yeah. No. That was, a, that, was a, that was an SAT question. No. <laughs> yeah, definitely semantics were involved. So what's yeah. the second one? Okay, second one. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. This person played the violin, but they were outshadowed by their younger brother's piano playing. Sherlock Holmes. Ira. You say it's Ira? Anybody else? I, I got Ira. Ira. Well, younger brother. I mean, yeah. Ira's older. Ira's older. <laughs> okay, yeah. it was actually George Liberace. <laughs> <laughs> So none of the above is the answer. Oh, yeah. I had that first. George Liberace. Interesting. Never doubt your gut. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number three. See, I can count up to three so far. This person published some of his work under the name Arthur Francis. Let's let's take the temperature of the room here. What do you say, Merwin? I'll go with George on this one. And George. None. George. Okay, the answer is Ira. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, you just, uh, you guys. This Have we is... ever had an O for 20? I don't know, I don't know. but we're getting there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This this could be a momentous moment. Okay. I want to jinx this, though. So it shows our wonderful hitter. listeners exactly how much we don't know about classical music. <laughs> yes. Or, you know. I, but at least we're here questions. together to enjoy it. <laughs> Indeed. These, these screwball questions. <laughs> okay, number four. Before getting involved in the music business, this person worked as a cashier in their father's Turkish baths. Okay, we're going to go around. We'll go the other way this time. Zach, what I do you have say? this as George. 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 It was actually Ira. <laughs> <laughs> so that is a big oh buzz God. for all oh, of the wow. above. It's a buzz kill, that's for sure. Now, I think Elaine got the last question right, but <laughs> well, we, all we, right. we should have all gotten it right. So try to enlist famous artists and teachers was denied by Stravinsky, Boulanger, and Ravel. Who would that be? Merwin? George. George Benjamin. George. <laughs> I have it as Bob Gershwin. <laughs> <laughs> so we got no, one. it was George. Everybody tied at one. That's amazing. <laughs> so Marvin wins. Circle gets a square. <laughs> well, Lane, Actually, you mentioned yeah. the story yeah. about, uh, you know, Ravel said, why be a second-rate Ravel when mm-hmm. you can be a first-rate Gershwin, yeah. right? Yeah. He also went to Stravinsky and asked him if he would study with him. And Stravinsky said, how much money do you make in a year? <laughs> Gershwin told him, and he said, well, perhaps I should be studying with you, <laughs> right? Aww. Oh, that's kind of sad. And Nadia Boulanger was like, there's nothing more I can teach you. You're, you've already <laughs> found your voice. Aww. So, you just think about going to those three. I mean, that's yeah. an amazing trio at that time. And, and get turned down by all of them. Yeah, that's either a big ego boost or it's totally <laughs> deflating. I'm not sure which <laughs> right. way it would go. Yeah, I don't know. I've always, I mean, for for so many reasons, um, kind of the mastery of a song form, but also this sort of um, maybe a lack of certainty in their gifts. I've always thought of Gershwin as like a 20th century Schubert. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like yeah. just somebody That's who, interesting. Could, yeah. who could like just 
so inspired, yeah. so unique, wrote amazing <clears throat> songs, and his large scale forms were underappreciated, exactly. but also amazing. Mm-hmm. So. Exactly. Yeah. Well, what is your experience with <clears throat> music of Gershwin, Vanessa? Um, I mean, I've played American in Paris. I don't think I've played any Porgy and Bess. And, yeah. you know, Rhapsody in Blue is a, you know, mm-hmm. big fun romp and piano concertos. I mean, I know Gershwin more as a listener right, than as a right. performer. Yeah, um, me too, obviously. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, Zach, um, what, what is the history with, like, uh, Porgy and Bess with the symphony? Is this the first time that they've, they've ever performed music, to your knowledge? I mean... <laughs> We actually have performed Catfish Row once before, I believe. Um, And we were lucky enough to actually um, uh, perform uh, Porgy and Bess, I would say about a a little bit less than 10 years ago. um, And everything pre-pandemic feels like an entirely different era. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's like back in the Cenozoic era. (laughs) Yeah. Oh wait, I think we're the still in the pandemic. Yeah, but so so the but like having it distilled in Catfish Row, there's yeah. something there's something kind of you know, it. I mean, to say greatest hits is a seems reductive, but mm-hmm. it's really cool when it's all concentrated <clears throat> down yeah. like that. I, yeah. I think of this like I think about the symphonic dances from West Side Story. You know, it's a very high appreciation of the musical context it is a beautifully written symphonic synthesis mm. and it's not a gimmick yeah so it's I'm, I'm i'm thrilled to hear it i i have a question for the group do you think that gershwin did himself a disservice or whomever when they published with the title catfish row well the the thing is that uh, it was initially not like that but uh um, right uh, Bennett came up with the uh, with the Gershwin uh, Porgy and Bess medley, and when they rediscovered, because Ira had this in his uh, in and at his house, and yeah. for like uh, I don't know twenty years, nobody, everybody, uh, Gershwin conducted all the performance of it, George Gershwin, yeah, and then when he passed away. The work kind of fell into uh, oblivion for, mm-hmm. for for a little while, and Ira had you know the estate. Yeah, he, he had it at his place, and everybody kind of forgot about it because yeah. everybody was doing like, like the Porgy and Bess. And this piece is very challenging. Also, I mean, uh, for orchestra, you just don't program it like that, you know. So especially at that time, uh, so it was kind of rediscovered. And but by that time, there were all you know when you get later in the fifties, sixties, there are already this these other medleys. So he decided to call it Catfish Row, but Gershwin didn't call him himself Catfish right. Row at the beginning. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. as as a marketer, <laughs> we want you know we were putting Porgy and Bess on, yeah, on everything yeah. because that's what people recognize. So yeah. it's very interesting that you say that because when I want to program this piece, I always get at mm-hmm. the same same comments. I say, let's do Catfish Row. And they say, why why don't you do something that people know from Gershwin? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no no, they know, and we always have to add mm-hmm. you know yeah. mm-hmm. the best of Porgy and Bess. Mm-hmm. And it is. I mean, you start, you know right away you're in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, the, and it's interesting because they, for that version, they put the piano solo that Gershwin played and Porgy and Bess, they, they put it back in that first movement. So mm-hmm. it's very personal. And what's interesting about, because you were talking about, you know, the three masters that he, he went to see, it shows also 
the humility you know, towards the art. You know, if you saw that that very uh, that old movie about Gershwin, you know, with his father clocking all the, the performances <laughs> of his pieces. It's an old black and white movie. So each time it's like more than five minutes. Oh, important piece, very important piece. <laughs> 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 and then, and Gershwin, you can see the humility. Say, well, I really want to learn more. But mm. the one thing, and, and we have that in uh, Wang Ji, is that the one thing you you looking for doesn't you don't know maybe you get it when you're re really young maybe old maybe never is your voice mm. and he found his voice he had mm. his voice he didn't find his voice he yeah. had his voice it came out and that's that's rare it's the same as schubert for me and merwin i have the exact same observation as you it's, yeah. a, it's like a modern day schubert well he also you know he didn't have a formal education i mean he studied with people privately here mm. and there and I, everyone else turned him down how could he get one <laughs> exactly <laughs> But I, I think maybe his weak spot in his mind was his technical ability, mm -hmm. right, in, in doing orchestration, things like that. Yeah. He often had people at the beginning who helped him. That's why it's so hard. Because uh, <laughs> he well, didn't know I, what he was doing. His orchestration is a little particular. Like in Catfish Road, the instruments that he chooses, yeah. and, and Rhapsody in Blue is a perfect example mm -hmm. of that. You know, you have uh, the winds are written for what we call doublers. You know, like like people who double on other instruments, because yeah. that was the background uh, in New York at the time. So you would have somebody who plays the oboe, the bassoon, and then like, oh, a, like a jazz band or yeah, something. Yeah, like exactly. That. So and what, then all of a sudden you have a bunch of saxophones. <laughs> which, which, darling, sorry, Zach. I was just going to ask didn't, didn't Paul Whiteman do the what we know as the standard orchestration of Rhapsody? So the first version that he wrote, uh, I know we're not playing Rhapsody in <laughs> this concert, yeah. we're talking about Gershwin. He wrote it for the Paul Whiteman Orchestra. And, and it, it's not a symphony orchestra. Yeah. It's a jazz, a jazz orchestra plus plus, right. you know. Uh, but then the the, or the orchestration we play is not by Gershwin. The, the one that everybody hears from orchestra is by Grofe, uh, Grofe yeah. Grand Canyon. Grofe. You know? yeah. Yeah. Are you serious? Absolutely. I would have yeah. lost that yeah. on Brad's quiz. I'm sorry, Soundbard's quiz. <laughs> um, but there, there's like three, four of them. That but the one that everybody knows, symphonic one, is by Grofe. The same person who wrote Grand Canyon Suite. Yeah, that's it, amazing. It's interesting. Yeah, a little help from his friends. Yeah. But he obviously had a tremendous talent from early on. Yeah. You know, he did that concert in 1920 or 1920s, thereabouts, mm -hmm. with uh, Walter Damrosch in New York mm -hmm. Symphony. And he had people who really uh, helped get his name on the map, as it were, in the classical circles. I mean, he already made a huge name for himself working Tin Pan Alley yeah. and writing songs and Broadway musicals and what have you. But, uh, I mean, is there anybody else really in, in 20th century history that could match uh, Gershwin's accomplishments in both the, like the popular arena as well as the classical arena? I mean, do we see that so often these days? Well, it's not exactly the same, but, you know, John Williams is, uh, yeah. is, is another one that's there, but it's not songs. It's not, but yeah. he, he, write, he wrote a lot of concertis. He, I, I've conducted some of his, you know, uh, quote-unquote, huh? Maybe Leonard Bernstein. Yeah, he's yeah. too busy conducting. <laughs> he didn't write <laughs> enough. Uh, I understand. Didn't write enough music. But uh, when, when you get serious about Bernstein and you really look at the music, that's absolutely right yeah. because his symphonies are amazing. Uh, Plateau, the the the, the violin concerto is amazing. This, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And the mass. Well, Merwin, you played that, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. That was the Cenozoic era, though. <laughs> <laughs> pre-pandemic. We don't talk about pre-pandemic. No, that's all we do is talk about pre and post-pandemic. But I, I think, I think you have the best one there because he also wrote Broadway. He also wrote songs. Yeah. You know, we always talk about West Side Story, but you know, On the Town, mm. uh, it's, a, it's an amazing mm -hmm. show. Yeah. You know, Candide is a seven. 
Oh, yeah. Rob Gertzen. And, and, <laughs> and Candide is an interesting case because it can be played as a musical and an opera. Uh, and a, yeah. A, a yeah. I, I actually <laughs> sang the uh, American premiere of the last version that he did of Candide, ah, the wow. operatic type version. I played the Nicolai Guetta role, whatever it was. I can't remember now. <laughs> I just remember that I was goofing off at one point and did a little hornpipe dance, and the director was like, "Yeah, you have to do that in the oh, show." No. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, never, uh, never give it's, them too much. It's like playing the extremes on your instrument in front of a composer, mm. yeah. <laughs> and they say, mm. "Oh yeah, put that in." And you, oh yeah. no, uh, yeah. <laughs> I want to hear the opening of Porgy and Bass <laughs> on the trombone. <laughs> Boy, it'd give your right hand a workout, huh? <laughs> I guess the openings of both Catfish Row and uh, Rhapsody in Blue indicate quite a challenge for mm. both of the soloists. Yeah. Very iconic, both of them. That, right? that sweeping clarinet solo, yeah. and of course, right. just... Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting, you know, David that. Schifrin told me this once about the the clarinet riff in Rhapsody in Blue and the clarinet riff at the end of the Copeland clarinet concerto mm-hmm. and how Copeland did the same riff but added an extra note at the end. He, like, went one note further than Gershwin, so... Like building the building one one floor higher, so it's that yeah, much exactly. taller. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Of course, Gershwin was long dead, so he couldn't uh, argue with it at that point. Speaking of which, I mean, a lot of people don't realize how young Gershwin mm-hmm. was when he died. Mm-hmm. Another Schubert parallel, for sure. Uh, yeah. Was he even 40? No, no, he was in his 30s. He yeah. was like 35, 36, something like that, and, and had a brain tumor, yeah, mm-hmm. which was uh, operated on unsuccessfully. And then he passed away. I mean, you have to, you know, it's one of those what if questions. You think of that with Mozart, but especially with somebody like Gershwin, who's so much closer to what we are, uh, where we are today, right? It's interesting, too, because our last concert also featured just an amazingly prodigious pianist who was also a composer and also passed away in Andre Mathieu. Yeah. Also, yeah. connection with New York, also yes. when he was very young, playing his own music, playing the piano. Yeah, yeah. yeah too bad he's Canadian. Couldn't fit him <laughs> on this concert. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> we've, we've, another, we've already made a stretch in that I'm, I'm getting another uh, face Brad, I think there. you and I are the only two authentic Americans in this room. <laughs> yeah, my, my grandfather was Canadian, though. Oops, Does that sorry. count? <laughs> he actually came from Canada. <laughs> so your grandfather's Canadian, and Zach said, I'm sorry, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Canada's covered. <laughs> Now, let's talk about the the legacy of Gershwin a little bit. Mm-hmm. I know I know the Gershwin Foundation has a lot of control still over mm-hmm. uh, George Gershwin's music, but Ira Gershwin, you know, lived for quite a while after uh, the passing of George, and he was really and you touched on this a little bit, Elaine. He he really was a steward, more mm-hmm. or less, of Gershwin's music. Do you want to talk a little bit about Ira's role in preserving the the legacy of George Gershwin? I mean, did you have any dealings with the, the Gershwin Foundation in just doing this piece on the uh, program? I'm sending our music librarian an email right now. <laughs> <laughs> what, okay, what, what, yeah. what I can tell you, what I can tell you, because, and that's... Uh, Wait, I have some music for oh, you to tell us, okay. Wow. <laughs> wow. Oh la la! No, <laughs> no, it's not much, man. It's you not... made it better already with your ooh la la. <laughs> it's not much, and it's not that interesting. It's just that when you play Porgy and Bess, 
of the all the operas it's one of the the one that uh, is uh, more expensive for the rights you know oh really yeah, yeah. and and it, it's normal i mean you know it's uh, but you know it's uh, it's not a question of public domain or anything it's really the estate and you which is you know it's every cent is worth it it's fine but that's uh that's something we don't think about we don't talk about but you know the rights to play it every night that can oh, yeah. for the music yeah well, yeah. I think one of the things that's really interesting with George Gershwin is the music itself. I mean, he was such a prodigious composer, and he was endlessly adaptable. Um, and so you sometimes end up with a lot of competing, maybe even conflicting versions of various scores. And so our neighbors to the north at the University of Michigan are kind of um, beginning or maybe are in the middle of the process of kind of creating kind of autographed versions, mm -hmm. like vortex-style versions of Gershwin's music. And that's an immense project. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, like, you know, kind of like having definitive, like, you know, years of study versions of Gershwin's scores. There's, I mean, I think the scores that we've been playing off of for decades are in some ways, you know, approximations of maybe what Gershwin's original intent was. Well, I, sorry. Oh, I, I worked at um, MIT that and surprisingly... Oh, j j just throw that into conversation. No, no, no. Well, well, people... <laughs> it has nothing to do with Gershwin. No, it well. does. It does. People are surprised to know how robust the music library and the music program are at MIT and we have an original or, you know, public domain version of Rhapsody in Blue in that library and and it, it those are hard to come by. You still have to rent Gershwin's music. But yeah. you know, if you if you have one from back in the day, hold on tight to it. Mm. <laughs> you I know what? I, really I, I have more it. left in my quiz. I think we should we should round things out here. I've got ten more questions ten? that we can oh, go through. Lord. You want to do five or you want to do ten? Let's do five. Let's yeah. do five. five. I vote seven. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll pick and choose out of here. But let me bring up some other quiz music here. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm going to lose my... This is actually more Lerner and Lowe. Jim Brickman. <laughs> this is the Jim Brickman Christmas album right here. All right. Nice Ohio reference. Speaking of musicals, because this sounds like this kind of sounds like almost like falling in love, you know, from Brigadoon, the Learner and Low musical. Am I am, am I missing the the mark on well, that? Well, we're in a rare mood. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't tell. We're not putting up with it. All right. <laughs> I hear it now. Hey, if Elaine can sing, I have to sing too. Okay. I, I, I heard it just now. Yeah, I did too. Okay. Let's do this one. Okay. This person dropped out of school at age 15 to work for a music publisher, George or Ira. This person was the first in their field to win a Pulitzer Prize. This person kept a picture of Jack Dempsey on their wall and also had a punching bag in their apartment. And this one lived for some time in Washington, D.C., where he worked as a copywriter, among other things. Hmm. How many is that? Merwin, you got to count for me? That's four. Okay. And this one, eh, let's see, he was around 10 years old when his parents bought him a piano. Okay. Let's go back to the beginning. Sure. Dropped out of school at age 15 to work for a music publisher. I'll go George. George. 
George. Ira. <laughs> Zach is behind by one. <laughs> so the answer was Yay! George. So negative one for Zach. Okay. First in their field to win a Pulitzer Prize. What do you say, Zach? Oh, I see what you're doing. George. Ira. Both. Ira. It was Ira, oh, the geez. first lyricist to be awarded a publisher prize. Publisher prize, a Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> I was thinking of publishing clearinghouse, right? <laughs> Publisher's clearinghouse. They're really big on soundbite. <laughs> yeah. That'd be funny if they awarded Pulitzer Prizes that way. Just came with, with a, a camera check. and a big check. Yeah. <laughs> And knock on the door and you come out in your nightgown, you know. And Ed McMahon is there. Yeah, exactly. You are correct, sir. <laughs> okay. This person kept a picture of Jack Dempsey on their wall, and they also had a punching bag in their apartments. What do you George. say? Ira. <laughs> Ira. I have Ira. It was actually George. Oh, okay. Merlin. Yay! Putting the win in Merwin. I see what you're doing. more questions. Okay, oh this gosh, person... That's why <laughs> that never dawned on you? No. Yeah. If his name was Merluz, he wouldn't. Do it. <laughs> okay, sorry. I'm glad we're having such a good time with this. Okay, this person lived for some time in Washington, D.C., where they worked as a copywriter, among other things. What do you say, Zach? I have Ira. George. Ira. Ira. It actually was Ira Glass. <laughs> so the, answer, the answer is none of the above. Okay, that was Ira Glass. Nobody gets a point for that. Wow, that's well done. Last question. They were around 10 years old when their parents bought them a piano. Who do you say, Merwin? I decided to go with Ira. Uh, both. Liberace. <laughs> I have George. It actually... Goes to Merwin. It was Ira. They bought a piano for Ira. George, Ira didn't want it, and then George got interested in it because Ira didn't want it, and that started his career. Since you managed to bring up Ira Glass, I should mention that Wang Chi is also married to a great NPR personality, Fred Child. Oh yeah! yeah. Wow, that's right. That's how I know that name because oh I gosh. know Fred. <laughs> <laughs> Do they just like make up music on Saturday mornings to delight themselves? While climbing mountains, I guess. <laughs> yes. yes, indeed. Climbing That's mountains, incredible. making music. Yeah. A list of your, your activities on your social media profile. All right. Well, we're going to go out with one more little memory from Zach talking about Gershwin. These like deep thoughts by Jack Let, Handy. Let's hear it. And I got some music for you. Uh, no, I don't actually have any here. Way to get my excitement. You have one oh, minute to tell wow. the story. <laughs> All right, now I, the anxiety is killing me. Um, when I think about Gershwin, I can't help but think about when I went to camp and I was 12 years old and I got a CD, which is a big deal, and it was classic Gershwin. And uh, I listened to Rhapsody in Blue and I listened to Sarah Vaughn singing selections from Porgy and Bess and... Um, it was just a phenomenal kind of greatest hits of, of Gershwin. I definitely have that CD. Too. Yeah, with like the um, yeah. the outline on it. Yeah, and thirty seconds. What I <laughs> what I just remember doing it the entire time that I was at camp was trying to remember certain note progressions and themes, and it was just killing me because my little musical memory wasn't strong enough to get me through the week without a CD player. <laughs> and uh, I look at Gershwin as like a, a refuge for a little 12-year-old kid to come Aww. back home and listen Aww. to all of this. That's so there great. you go. You did it with uh, five, minute, five seconds to spare. Of course I did, soundbard. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, the concert is happening on Friday, June 3rd at 8 p.m. at the Paris Style. 
Alain Trudel conducting with pianist Charles Richard Amelin, something like that. Music of Wang Ji, also George Gershwin. We've been talking about those two sort of bookends to the concert, but also in the middle, music of Alain Trudel and Christopher Dietz, and we'll be talking with both of them in a later program. This program is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with our sponsor, the Toledo Symphony, with generous support from the Rita Barber Kern Foundation. You can download episodes of this program as a podcast by going to our website at wgte.org lab. You can also subscribe to us through your podcast app of choice, including Apple and Google Podcasts. Don't forget to check out all the upcoming events at the Symphony by visiting their website at toledosymphony.com and their various social media outlets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find the TSO streaming platform online at stream.artstoledo.com. And if you are interested in attending any of the concerts that are left in the season, again at toledosymphony.com or call the box office at 419-246-8000. My thanks to Zach Vasser, Elaine Trudell, Merwin Sue, and Vanessa Gardner. I'm Brad Cresswell. This has been Toledo Symphony Lab from FM 91.